Tuesday. You know what that means? That means it's another podcast day, which means we're going to meet another amazing guest. And it's another opportunity for us to inspire you. So this is Rob Foss, the host of Shut Up and Grind. This is episode number 178. We are closing in on that 200 mark, that 200 milestone. I thought we were going to get it by the end of this year, but it'll be early 2022, early January. We'll hit that milestone. We're going to have a special show for you that day. I'm going to bring back a bunch of my my prior guests. We're going to just have a, a panel celebration of our 200th episode. So if you are new, you join me over on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. I'm trying to build up the audience over there so we can inspire even more people. Uh, the show is all about overcoming obstacles, about defying the odds. It's about not letting people define you, right? It's helping you define you. And I bring bring my guests in. We, we get deep into their backstories and we go through the journeys of who they've become now and who they're aspiring to be. And maybe that will inspire you to do the same. But first, let me give you a little bit of my background. This is me. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. Starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. I'm telling you, I miss speaking on stages. But anybody out there, you know, any event planners that are looking for speakers, Send them my way. It doesn't matter if there's five people in the room or 5,000 people in the room. I just love that. I miss that energy of being on stages. Boy, oh boy. So today's teachable moment. So I'm not going to get deep into politics or like the Rittenhouse trial or any of that stuff. But for those of you that have strong opinions about those things, I, my challenge is to channel that passion and all of that energy into your goals. Because I see people going so hard over things in the grand scheme of things don't affect your life one ounce. Not one ounce. But people get so upset about it. Like families break apart over it. Siblings stop talking to each other over it. But channel that, all that passion and all that energy into accomplishing that one thing that you really want to accomplish. And then just watch how your life will change. And then you find out that all the stuff that the media throws in front of our faces to keep us fighting with, with each other, it's all nonsense. I mean, I know there's real things happening out there, but the way it's displayed is nonsense to purposely fire you up and to, to distract you from what they're actually doing. You know, so take that energy, take that passion and make your dreams come true. Okay, that's today's teachable moment. So now I mentioned I have another amazing guest. And who is said guest? So she is a joy seeker, a drag ambassador, and the founder slash designer of YDY Suites, a clothing line created for her sister breast cancer survivors. She lives in Wisconsin with her two children. All right, let's welcome Jamie Sherling to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for, for being patient. As we stated earlier that we booked you back in July. So thank you for for being patient and waiting till now to come on and share with us. Good things are worth waiting for sometimes. I love it. Love it. And this is definitely going to gonna be good because I, and honestly, I'm not even just, just saying this to say this. I haven't had one bad show. Not, not one. Everyone that that's been on this show has brought the fire and just doing a quick dive into to your background. I'm sure this one's not going to be any different. So, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're from Wisconsin, I saw. Are you originally from there? I am not. No. I okay. grew up on the East Coast. Oh, but I've been about? in Wisconsin so long that I feel like, when do I say I'm from here? 
where on the East Coast? I was born in New York City, lived there, then in Florida, and then okay. upstate New York after that. Gotcha. All right. So when, when did you move out of New York City? I was seven. Okay. So I was still pretty little. So my memories aren't, I have some memories from living there. So I was yeah. seven. Florida was second to fifth grade. Okay. And then middle school on in, I'll say, quote, upstate New York, because upstate New York is a very relative term, depending on whether you know New York or not. Yeah, <laughs> I do. So wh whereabouts? In the southern tier. Okay. okay. So, so really not very far upstate, but compared, everyone thinks you're in the city or you're upstate. I exactly. I was just going to say that. <laughs> so um, not very far upstate, but still upstate for everybody who most of the people talk New York. Yeah, second you leave you leave the boroughs, you're considered up, upstate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was born in New York City myself, but I, I my parents moved us out. I was two and a half, I think, so I okay. have no no memories of it. So I'm up in Rhode Island now. But uh, so, what was it like li living in Florida? It was fun. It was kind of like a fun vacation for me. I can't speak for other people in my family. It was nice mm -hmm. to, I have a birthday in October. So okay. I remember having a party at the beach, which is just so bizarre because nice. in New York, you could have a warm birthday, maybe, yeah. but you're not necessarily mm -hmm. going to have a beach birthday party. True. So and having a pool in the neighborhood. So the warm weather was so different. So the weather was the most different piece of it. All right. So what was it like going from Florida to Wisconsin? Well, I went to New York in between there. So oh, that's right. That's right. Went from New York back to, and where I was in New York and where I am in Wisconsin, pretty similar. Okay. Not very yeah. different from a weather perspective. Yeah. I mean, cold is cold. Right. <laughs> so. exactly. Cold is cold. You need a coat. You need hat and gloves all the time. Yep. We're, we're about that now here in, uh, in Rhode Island. It's been frost the last three, three mornings, I want to say, when I get up. But thankfully, I have a remote car start. So that makes sense. There you go. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in. So how would you describe yourself? I'm a mom. I'm a friend. I am a drag connoisseur. Mm -hmm. I'm an author and a clothing designer. All right. So what do you like best about being a mom? Seeing my children become independent humans. Yes. I always say watching when it finally clicks, the stuff that you've been saying their entire life, and then you finally watch it click. It's like, mm -hmm. there it is. There it is. I get all these gray hairs for that moment. That's right. <laughs> I think it's that moment of, oh, you were listening. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. think... Are you listening to anything I'm saying? Or if even Wilders, if you hear them say your words, you're yes. like, whoa, that, that's <laughs> verbatim what I said. Yes, <laughs> I love it. And that's the question, too, though. It's like, have, have they been listening? Like my oldest son, there's a 10-year ten, ten gap between my oldest son and my twin boys. So he's, he's 22, my twin boys are 12. And, like, they were out playing basketball once. And my oldest son, he was, he was the rebel of of the, the I had five, so he was the rebel, and he he was the one that caused three quarters of these, and so the, they're out playing on the basketball court, and I'm in the window just watching and just listening to, to the way he's coaching them and encouraging them, and I was like, oh my god, he has it. <laughs> it was like a, <laughs> like for the last two decades, I didn't think he had it. I was like, but he has it. It's in there, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So so just watching it. Watching it finally manifest. It's like, yes. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Good stuff. All right. So, so you, all right. So you went back to New York after, after the fifth grade? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, okay. So what was it like, you know, for, for that, that part of your life growing up? You mean the, the sixth grade on? Yeah. There were some tough moments, I'm not going to lie. Sixth yeah. grade can be a challenging time for all people. Yeah. And I was in a Catholic school. So I was in a K-8 Catholic school. That's my parents chose that for as long as possible. Yeah. And I'm in a class of maybe maybe 15 people. It might not have even been 15. It might have been 12. And there was this one young lady I won't say her name in public. I have said it in <laughs> private, but she did not like me. And right. I really don't know why, 
I, I don't remember doing something that would make her not like me, but she did not like me. And she made my life very, very difficult. But okay. then she moved in seventh grade and it was awesome. <laughs> so I don't know what she did. I don't know what she's up to now. So that one year, pretty rough. And then she left and it was night and day. And it's funny. I'm still friends with people that was that were back in that seventh and eighth grade class. Because by the time it hit eighth grade, there were only eight of us. So okay. having an eighth grade class of seven other students is an interesting experience. Yes. And sure enough, at least three of them, not closely connected with, but enough that got a birthday card and how are you doing and how's the family and all this. And mm. I don't know if that would be the case if that young woman had stayed in <laughs> had stayed at our school. <laughs> so wherever she went, I'm glad she left. I wish her well. Wow. So how how did that that affect you with with her with her doing that to you? It was really rough. I remember liking the other people, but it was that she's going to turn people against me and so I've mm. still have this of course. You know the memories are vivid when 7th grade was more than a few years ago for me. <laughs> and I played basketball and I was on the team and I remember visiting with her and someone else. I think we were in the bathroom maybe after school getting ready or something. I don't remember the exact details, but it was, oh, yeah, practice is at this time. And she flat out told me the wrong time on purpose. Mm. So I would miss practice. Wow. Really? Like, why is this that important to you to mess my life? So I tried to just keep on keeping on best I could. But I will say it just got better when she was gone. That's a good thing. Yeah. if If there was a positive that came from last year, it was my, my twin boys started in middle school. And one one of them's a little on the sensitive side. And, uh, you know, like, he, he cries easily, like, if, if he gets upset. And, you know, middle middle school kids suck. Like, let's just call it what it is. You know, they, they can be some mean, evil, evil people. <laughs> you know, I hate, to, I hate to use the word evil to describe kids, but some of them can be. And mm-hmm. I, was just, I was just nervous about that transition going in. But then it was distance learning for the entire year. So it's like, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you know, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so they escaped, you know, having to tell a story like that. Right. Because you know, those, mm-hmm. those things stick with you. They, oh, they yeah. Do. I mean, again, here we are later. I still remember it very mm-hmm. well. And it's stuck. Exactly. Boy, oh, boy. All right. So what did you see yourself doing for a career back then? I really didn't know. I wasn't sure. I I felt like it just kind of came organically. I was, at the time, it's funny to think back to early college, I was planning on a major of Spanish. I had taken, and it was just because I liked the Spanish language and I had been learning it since sixth grade. So I'd had a pretty significant amount of time, enjoyed it, thought maybe I'd be an interpreter for the UN. Mm. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but I did. First time I heard that one. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't happen. So I'm in college. I have my Spanish major. I'm reading Spanish literature and enjoying it, but then realized, I don't think this interpreter thing is a good idea. And mm. I thought, well, okay, well, I don't know what I do want to do. And I'll be honest, I don't remember where I, how I landed on this decision, but I switched my major to elementary education. I think it was that I had had, I grew up with a big family. I have a brother who's 10 years younger than me, a sister who's a teacher. Maybe there was that to it. And then also in middle school, I think it was very late middle school after that person left, I was actually a religious ed teacher, enjoyed it. So maybe that was, it was like, oh yeah, I did that. That was teaching. And I switched my major and went into education and taught for five years and it just seemed, it seemed right. Okay. All right. So what made you leave after five years? My own children. So (laughs) I was due with my daughter on November 1st and I taught kindergarten. And it's funny how the littlest things seem to completely change your life. I was planning on teaching, having my daughter going back maybe 12 weeks later, that was a plan. I thought yeah. that's what I'll do. Being being due at the beginning of the school year, at the end of the school year before, I'm getting bigger and bigger and fast mm. forward thinking to the fall, thinking, wait a minute, I'm going to be nine months pregnant. I'm going to be getting down on the floor with these kids. Maybe mm. I won't be able to get back up. <laughs> and I realized it just wasn't fair. I didn't think it was fair to me. 
to my yeah. students, to the parents to think, gee, at the very beginning of the year. And again, this is kindergarten. If I had taught first grade, I might not have made any changes at all. But having it be their first year of school thinking, what, I'm going to leave weeks into the school year. I barely know them. Then they have a sub. Then I come back. And so I just decided to retire, <laughs> so, okay. which wasn't really a plan. But I thought <laughs> they'll get maybe the school might get a more qualified candidate being a full-time permanent position than a temporary one. Yes. And I had the thought process that if I wanted to go back, I could just apply again. If I got a job once, I could get a job again. Yeah. And when my daughter was one at her birthday, I'm telling people I'm pregnant with her brother. So <laughs> I thought, okay, now I'm not going back again. And having I, my kids are 19 and a half months apart in age and okay. decided to stay home and raise them. And that's, okay. why I did. So that's why I didn't go back into teaching. And then I just never went back. <laughs> All right. So, so you, you played the, uh, not played, but you were a stay at home mom for a while. Full time. Mm -hmm. Okay. To, for a good nine years. Okay. And I Boy, think okay. that is a big lie that uh, it is my opinion. It's a big lie that, Oh, it's all good when your kids go to school. That is <laughs> not true at all. And I remember, and I, and I believe that because that's what quote everybody says. Yeah. Well, no one really says, well, they go to school for maybe, eight to three, that's not a full-time job. So the idea of going back into the workforce, I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess I could go back into teaching, but then if I'm not at their school and then they have days off, but I have different days off. Yeah. And I just thought, well, this isn't as much of a no brainer as people make it out to be. Yes. I agree with and that. So I kept staying home and, and it also gave me the chance to volunteer in their classroom, which it was interesting being a former teacher, then being on the parent side for yes. working in my son's classroom. A number of the parents at the school and the teachers already knew me because this is the second child. And I didn't tell, I didn't make a point to tell people I was a teacher because I didn't want it to be awkward or, oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you how to do your job because that's not what it is. In this role, I'm the parent. But it just kind of slipped out one day. And of course, the <laughs> kindergarten teacher had me running reading groups. She's like, oh, come here. You're you're come, you're doing this. Like, okay. I mean, I had the experience. I was yeah. able to do it. So I had probably a more advanced parent volunteer role than some other parents who hadn't had five years of teaching okay. experience. And but, did that did that help help you stay stay connected with that field? It did. It did, but yet it didn't make me want to go back because I had this thought that either especially teaching early elementary, I think it is very physically and emotionally draining being with the littles and I thought, you know, I'm not sure if I will be able to give my best energy to both the children I gave birth to and my students. And I felt like somebody's mm -hmm. going to lose out because if I'm the best teacher and I'm giving them my all at the end of the day, I'd say I'm spent. I can't, <laughs> I can't work yeah. with you. And so I thought somebody was going to get shortchanged, whether it be the kids I gave birth to or my students. And I just didn't think that was fair. It's, it's that spot on. See now, even in, in the gym world for a while, I started teaching kids classes and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Like we, we, I had to change locations, and so when I changed locations, I ended the kids program. <laughs> I was like, Cause I have five of my own, you know. So it's like when, when I'm not at the gym doing my thing, I'm home be, being being a dad, you know. Mm -hmm. And, I, and mm -hmm. I'm a and I'm a single parent too, so I know all, all about that. That even when they go to school, there's still stuff to do anyway. Oh, you know? absolutely. So mm -hmm. It's definitely easier being an entrepreneur because I, I control my schedule, so I make sure that I get to all the after-school events and volunteer when I can and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm, and, but, but mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's still, there's still work that needs to be done. Like always, I love when people, when pe people say, Oh, she's just a stay at home mom. Like just, it's like, just, <laughs> it's like, there, there's still a lot of work to be done. And I always say, I'm sorry, but I don't care what heights you hit, you hit in your career. There's nothing more powerful you can do than raise respectful, productive children. <laughs> nothing they don't care how much money people amass i don't care if you're the president of the of the uh united states doesn't matter <laughs> it's like if you're raising respectful productive you know uh future members of society like there's no better thing that you can leave behind <laughs> nothing you know but, but but just that 
that just gets glossed over in society. It absolutely does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I remember this is a little little off topic, but I remember I was in the market this one day, and I had three of my kids. They were smaller, and the woman in front front of me is like, "Oh, you guys hanging with dad for the weekend?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, I'm not that dude." <laughs> you know, you are I was, incorrect. I was like, "Don't you dare assume!" <laughs> you know, I was like, "I'm a full time parent with these children. Like, I'm not that every other weekend dad." You know, I was like, I'm so offended by that. It's like I'd be you know? offended too. That's so <laughs> presumptuous. Yes, exactly. I said, like, yeah, I, I get it. It happens a lot, but that's, that's not, not me. me. <laughs> well, and I think too, you make the good point of respectful, kind members of society. Because sure, you can be home with your kids and watching, who knows, Real Housewives all day and completely ignoring your children. Yes. And We'll see how they turn out. You never know. But if you are my my time, and I do remember it, I'm trying to take them to play groups and take them places and museums and helping them maybe make some good eating habits and all the the stuff. It's a lot of thinking and the exhaustion of just toddlers who don't listen and want to run into the street and, and doing that <laughs> 24-7. That's yep. a lot. It really is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the toddlers want to run into the street. We know. Uh, come on. Anyways, a toddler, you know they want to run oh, into the I street. Know. I know. Ne- never forget, I have visions of my older daughter. She was maybe two or three at the time. I was downstairs loading the dishwasher, and I, I saw a little pink flash. Like, so- somehow, this little thing got the door open, and she's walking outside. I go, let me out. I'm like, what are you doing? And I was like, turn, turn my back by half a second. And that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. And I had the experience. It's so interesting having kids. They're 19 and a half months apart. So you'd think similar experiences and similar parenting experiences. That You know, one was barely walking, and then there's the other one. But they were very different sizes. So I had my daughter first, who's always been smaller. I think by the time maybe she was three, her brother passed her. And now he's a man child. He's almost six feet tall. And (laughs) it it worked out the way I thought it would. But he could reach things that she couldn't at the same age because he was so much taller. So I'd be, oh, I'm working here (laughs) in the counter. And I see him grab a knife. Oh, no. Oh, 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 you can reach that because at the (laughs) same age, your sister couldn't reach that. And that's, again, they're not even two years apart and I had different experiences. (laughs) And that's me standing there. You're waving around a knife. So true. Yeah. Like I mentioned, my my twin boys, like even though they they look nothing alike, like one is dead serious. One's your your complexion and the other one is mine. And uh, so Ben... He's about maybe three and a half inches taller than Ricky. <laughs> about three, wow. and, he, and he's 20 pounds heavier. <laughs> you know, it's like, if I wasn't there, <laughs> you know, the, the hospital where they, where they were born, <laughs> there was only one other baby and them two. <laughs> so it's like, if I wasn't there, like, I, I feel like there was a mix up here somewhere. <laughs> but, but it's so funny. All of his features, everything, like, he, he looks just like, just like me. He just got no melanin at all, <laughs> you know. But it's just amazing just how, how different they can be. You're, you're spot on with that. Like mm-hmm. my my three boys, all of them are so similar. And my two girls are so different. Like they're very into their, their hygiene. They're very clean. They're both straight A students. And with the boys, it's like, did you brush your teeth? No. Go brush your teeth. <laughs> Next day, did you brush your teeth? No. Go brush your teeth. <laughs> I actually put my arm around them the other day. I was like, boys, you're going to be 13 in March. 13. I said, it's been a decade. I've been telling you to brush your teeth and put on deodorant. <laughs> and every single day I ask the same question and you give me the same answer. <laughs> it's been a decade, people. <laughs> I'm like, just one day, just shock me and be like, dad, we have it on. <laughs> yes, we brush our teeth. We did Please. the things without you asking. <laughs> All right. So let's shift into what you're doing now. So just walk, walk me through how you got started. Well, it's an interesting answer. I'm like, well, there's what I do full-time. So I do have a full-time job that I work for a nonprofit. I work for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I got into that because I was a volunteer first. So back when I'm home with my children, my brother Corey was diagnosed with large B-cell lymphoma. And I decided to join team and training. And I was going to run a half marathon and do that in his honor. And... I did the first one 
in his honor, enjoyed it, came back a second season. And unfortunately, by the time the second season happened, it was in his memory. Uh, so it was a quick, well, quick is relative, but about 14 months, I think, from diagnosis to when he passed away. And I was still home with the children and then right place, right time, talked with the national manager in this organization. There happened to be a spot on her team. And so that is where I've been full time for the last eight years. And you talk about being an entrepreneur. It's not being an entrepreneur, but I do have the flexible schedule and I did get to pick up my kids from school and if I need to take a break during the day and I have about as flexible schedule as I could possibly ask for nice. in a full-time job. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Okay. And then yes. the, go ahead. Go ahead. no, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, just going to add on that earlier this year, my, uh, my niece lost her two-year-old son to, to leukemia. It was a, talk, talking about a fast turnaround, four days. Oh. Yeah, I guess, I guess he, he was acting a little, little odd. <clears throat> excuse me, out of the ordinary. And so they brought him to the emergency room. And this was on the Thursday and he passed that Tuesday. It's crazy. Wow, just. Yep. Craziness. So yeah, he died of, uh, of leukemia. Um, okay. So you said you're a drag connoisseur. You, yeah. you, you, you had to know we, we were going to get there. <laughs> you have to. It, people get interested when I say things like that. And yeah. Especially someone who, four years ago, I had never seen a drag show in my life, okay. ever. I knew drag existed. I knew of it as an art form. I think I'd you know seen pictures of drag yeah. queens, but never actually been in a space to see a show. Never even saw an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. None of the above. Okay. And I was in a musical. I was in community theater. And the musical choreographer happened to be a drag queen, which I don't even know when I found that out, but we just became Mm -hmm. friends. This is my friend, Josh, and had a great season. And then after the season was over, I get a text from Josh saying, do you want to be a backup dancer for a drag show pageant? I said, yes. (laughs) Like, I didn't even think about it. Why would I say (laughs) no to that? Here's my friend asking me for help. and. So I went to a place in town that I love. It's called Five Night Club. And I went there on a Saturday afternoon in October. Still still at that point, hadn't seen drag or anything, but that was where we were meeting to work on the choreography to practice for this pageant. So okay. there I meet, I see Josh, who's already my friend. And then I meet three other people who I met them, Dan, Jacob, Michael. But it turns out they're also drag queens as well. So I have a very unique perspective in that I met, it's like, oh, I met these people and it's like, I met them out on the street and we hung out and then, oh, they just happen to be drag queens. Whereas I think other people will just go to a drag show and just see drag. So I met these people, they became my friends. And then I started following their shows. Of course it was, oh, this one's hosting a show. This one's hosting a show and started going more and more. And I loved it. The first show I went to, I went, I luckily went to a show before I performed in one. So okay. I, at least, <laughs> I, I went to one before my performance and I thought, where has this been my whole life? I loved it. The, the costumes, the makeup, the wigs. It, I felt like I was just watching mini musicals all night because at least the drag I was seeing, they put on music. They lip sync to it. They're dancing around. I was in heaven. And so <laughs> as I became friends with more and more of them, I just went to more and more and more shows as often as I could. And I was so fortunate that this place, Five, was five minutes from my house. So it had been there this whole time, never even knew it existed. And now I thought, this great place. I get in my car. And one time it was four minutes that I looked from the time I got in my car till I got <laughs> home. It was four minutes away. Wow. All right. So before you went to the first show, what kind of what, what kind of visions did you have in your mind of, of what to expect? I didn't really know what to expect because I still hadn't had that experience of seeing it. And I knew it would probably be fun in that I had met these other people who happen to be queens and they're fun people and they're performers. So I think I just expected it to be fun but I didn't really know what I was going to see and I did not expect just the level of attention to detail and in the makeups and wigs and costumes you know I 
I didn't really know what to expect, but I don't think I expected them to look as good as they did. I didn't expect them to look. I think a lot of people will be surprised that they look, if you didn't know and you passed them, you might think that this person who is a male presenting human in that moment, you would think as a woman. It's like, yeah. And so sometimes it's now I'm friends with them. So sometimes I know them in drag and out of drag. And sometimes you can see the resemblance, but sometimes it looks like a completely different person. <laughs> like, Wait, that's you? Yeah. So I was watching a YouTube show with my, my oldest daughter and this person was being interviewed, you know, in drag. And we watched probably like two hours of this interview. Like we were just so, so enthralled about the whole backstory and how, how we got into it, you know, how we chose, chose this concept. Like you, you mentioned in the attention to detail is what reminded me about seeing this show. Because when I tell you, he was made up to the T, you know, to the T and every last detail, but just listening to, to him speak, just like this is just so much deeper than just putting on makeup and putting on a wig and throwing on a costume. It's like, they're, they're, like you said earlier, it's an art form, you know, and I think I, so. I actually invited him to be on this, on this show. I think I think I'm going to try to get him on this this month. See if I can squeeze him in on a Saturday or something. But uh, but he's got he's got a phenomenal backstory. Like, and I definitely want to give give him another another outlet to share it on. But so what what was your overall experience from that that first show? It was just here we are. This is something I've been missing out on for so long, and it's right here. It, that in my backyard feeling i was so grateful yes that's awesome and and so do do you still do stuff with them now (laughs) yes i laugh because (laughs) i went from never seeing a show to they're my second family and from that first show i just started going more and more at the time i was married to a man and he loved drag also so it wasn't it wasn't work to get him to go to shows we went to shows together and fast forward it's probably not even a year I was diagnosed with cancer and I had had a double mastectomy and so I'm recovering at home this is summer of 2018 so I'm recovering at home maybe four days after my surgery and I'm not feeling it wasn't even that I felt particularly bad I didn't feel great about how I looked I had crusty hair probably I don't think I had showered since my surgery because you have to be careful with things like that so the hair is kind of crusty I'm wearing my teenage daughter's button-down shirt that I've been wearing for probably three days post-surgery just not feeling very great and said to my husband I want to go to five thinking I can sit here on the couch or I could sit there and watch a show because that's one thing I love about being there. You don't have to stand because some shows it's you're standing the whole time. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm too old for that. I'm like, I need to be sitting and watching my show. So we <laughs> sit and watch a show. I thought, well, I could sit there. Or I could sit here. So we went and sat and I'm watching and the queen who was the host of that show, Brianna, I knew who she was, but we weren't friends yet. Like, I don't think she knew who she didn't know who I was at all. And I had just seen a couple of her shows. And during the middle of the show, she's making small talk and kind of at the halfway point of the show, she bops around to the audience. And at one point looks at my husband and, Ooh, who are you? We're here with, which that happened a lot. He was very, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of a metrosexual person. And a lot of times I was asked if he was gay, especially if they didn't know me, he's like, Mm -hmm. wow, who's this? My husband. So (laughs) not a surprise that the queen is looking at him and he just looked kind of corner of his eyes of my wife and she turned her head and just stopped and froze and she says you're pretty like really pretty and and I knew she meant it like I could just tell it wasn't her saying a line and here I am feeling not so great about myself and how I looked and she is gorgeous and made up to the T and I didn't cry in real life, but I was definitely crying on the inside. (laughs) And so that just solidified it that much more. So I thought, okay, well, I'm never missing one of her shows. So I just started going more and more and more and more. And then we can get into it or not, but my marriage imploded. Okay. Wait, wait, let's stop there. (laughs) Let's stop there. Marriage imploded. (laughs) We'll pick up. We'll pick up there. I want to go back to the cancer diagnosis. 
Sure. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to just gloss over that because I feel like that's a big part of the story as well. So did you did you just go for a routine check and discovered it? Were you not feeling well? It's like, just take me through how you found out you had it. Neither. So the year prior, I have a unique story in that the year prior, I had had a mammogram at the recommendation of a friend, which I was 40. It was like, oh, that's a good age. Go get a mammogram. Okay. Got it. And they found a spot that they weren't sure about. So the year before my diagnosis, I was actually freaking out thinking, oh my gosh, I have cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they did a biopsy and said, oh no, it's, it's not their calcifications. You're okay. But come back in a year. Okay. And I kind of forgot about it. And then a year later, I almost forgot to make the appointment. I had had a sinus infection. And while I'm checking out, I thought, oh yeah, I was supposed to have another mammogram. Okay. So I just scheduled Mm -hmm. it thinking again, it's not going to be anything. It wasn't anything the last time. They found something suspicious again, had to do a biopsy again. And even up to that point, I thought, no, 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 it's fine. But then I get the call. So I had the biopsy and the next day I get the call and the nurse says, I'm so sorry, there's cancer. And I was, I wasn't blindsided in that I knew it was a possibility and it had been a possibility really for that whole year. But when I was having the check, I really wasn't expecting it. So Mm -hmm. then, and then it's a whirlwind from there, you know, the diagnosis and appointment after appointment, you know, is it, is it just in one spot? Has it spread? What's the treatment plan? Just appointment after appointment, after appointment, after appointment. And it was really a struggle because in that maybe six weeks time, I'm telling some people really close to me, but I'm not telling my children because I didn't want to tell them until I knew exactly what to tell them. So I'd be having calls. And then if I happened to get a call and they were home, I'd like, take run outside and take the call outside. And especially because their experience with cancer was, well, uncle Corey had cancer and then he died. So I wasn't going to say, well, I have cancer, but I don't really know anything more than that. I didn't think that was fair to them at all. So it was a lot of weeks of take a test, wait a few days, take a test, wait a few days, boom, 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 boom. Till I finally, after that six weeks, knew exactly a, where it was, how it had spread, what's happening and a treatment plan. So I didn't tell, as it worked out, I don't think I told the kids till maybe it might have even been within the week of having my surgery okay. because I didn't I didn't know the plan until once we had the plan, then it was full court press and it was yes. rapid fire of a surgery. I did have chemo. I had radiation, all the things. Wow. And so I love the basketball reference there. So kudos for that. And uh, what was what was your initial conversation with with your husband like regarding the diagnosis? It was he knew he knew it was a possibility, obviously, you know, because we were married the year before, so yeah. we knew it was possible. Then he knew I was having the test, and so I just told him that when he got home from work. It's funny that I don't know if that's funny or not, but he wasn't Mm -hmm. the first to know my best friend knew before him because she called and asked. I mean, we have the relationship where we talk every single day. Even now we've talked every day for years. And so she knew I had the appointment. She knew when I had the appointment. And so she called and was like updates. I need to know. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to lie to her. So I told her and I thought about calling my husband at work, but thought I, do I need to derail his work day? Like I can tell him tonight. Yes. And so I told him and he was pretty upset. He had a really, I honestly think he had a harder time with it than I did because it, I, and I don't even know if I knew this, but his godmother had had breast cancer and passed away. So not only is that his story, he knows this person had it and didn't live, but then also probably all the grief and, all those wow. feelings that bubble up because of his past experience with it. So it was a little well, weird. Well, that and you're his wife. <laughs> you know, I mean, at the time, you know, uh, you know, before the implosion, I'm sure there was a time where, you know, he loved you. And hearing that your loved one has that, yeah, that's, that's scary. I feel like there was a time that I was comforting him with my diagnosis, which sometimes feels <laughs> a little backwards. I'm thinking, so this is my dose diagnosis. It's my body. But <laughs> He was having such a hard time with it. It felt like I needed to comfort him. I actually found him a support group, which okay. he joined and it really helped him, I think. And so it, 
you never know how someone's going to react to news like that and really? how they're going to react and how they're going to process and then how you how you then reflect their reactions and but then once we dove into it, then it was just, let's go, you know, let's yeah. do the treatment. Let's do the things. The not knowing I think is worse than, than actual, the treatment, all those, those six weeks of let me take a test and wait a few days and that anxiety and waiting yeah. for the results. And then we do another one and then you're all the waiting, but once, and I will, I give my oncologist so much credit from the time we met, we met in June of 2018. I was in some form of treatment through, really September of 19. And it never changed from that first day. He said, we're going to do this down to the drugs. It was, we're doing this drug, this drug, this. we're doing these for six weeks. We're doing these for 12 weeks. Then you're having six weeks of radiation and boom, boom, boom. Everything, everything he said we were doing, we did. Yeah. And I keep and had the treatment plan and the treatment plan was exactly what he had suggested it to be. Nice. And you're nice and healthy now. Mm, awkward. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. The, no, the cancer came back, unfortunately. Oh, no. Yeah. So I had had this experience thinking, I'm good. I'm cancer free. Yay. Mm. And during the pandemic, my back was hurting and didn't think much of it other than, well, I'm getting, quote, older and um, I'm sitting a lot. It's the pandemic. Maybe I'm not moving as much. Started seeing a chiropractor things aren't going well. Yeah. I see my oncologist in April of 21 for just routine blood work because you get checked. You do get checked yeah. at certain times, which makes sense. And my blood work was fine, which is still so interesting to me. Blood work was good, but my oncologist is a wonderful human who I feel, I mean, we're fr I feel like we're friends and yeah. just said, Hey, you know how, what else is new? What else is going on? And I said, Oh yeah. I mean, my back hurts all the time. But, and I'm sure in his mind immediately, it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're a generally healthy person other than mm -hmm. this cancer business. So what's going on? Ended up having an MRI, having, having a PET scan, having biopsy, all the things. And the cancer has metastasized. So it's in different spots of my body. So I'm back in treatment again. Aww. So it's, it's life. This, for anybody who's watching this, if you see a video, this is not my hair. But oh. it's very exciting. My hair actually just started growing back. So okay. I'm in a spot of treatment that for some reason it's chemotherapy, but it's somehow a targeted chemotherapy that's allowing my hair to grow back, which I'm oh. super excited about. Okay. <laughs> wow. So the battle for so the battle rages on. It does. Indeed. It's it's very interesting having it be a second time. You think some of the memories are exactly what they were. Like, oh, I remember this. This is similar. And then some things are completely different well but, i had a guy on who who beat it four four times so you know so stay strong <laughs> right stay strong keep fighting keep fighting that's what i'm doing just living life yeah like i said in my my video earlier obviously it's an injury versus an versus uh an illness but you know i was told i would never run or jump again you know and it's like you know that's not for you to decide <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's not. It's like you put me back together, and then I will decide how I'm gonna how I'm gonna proceed. You know, like you I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've you've heard of Les Brown, the speaker. Oh yes, mm -hmm. yeah. So Les Brown, he was he was battling cancer as well, and he he gave a story. I, I was part of, of of a master class, and he was a guest speaker, and he said he was speaking with his doctor, and the doctor basically told him. You know, we're, we're at the end of our scope of what we can do. And so Les Brown says, so you're basically telling me I'm going to die. And he's like, no, I'm telling you that we've done everything we can do. He's like, what happens now is between you and God. And I was like, okay. I, love, I was like, I love that. It's like, that's that's powerful right there. It's powerful because so many like I've known people who have, have been told that they have six months to live and a decade later, they're still here, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so. So I always tell people like, hey, like your will to survive is more powerful than anything. You know what I mean? It really is. So I got I got faith in you. Keep fighting. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay, so we're gonna segue from that into an implode imploded marriage. <laughs> yeah. So uh, five months into chemotherapy, things are moving along. Treatments, it's going okay. I mean. 
overall, I tolerated it pretty well, but I did have a couple short little hospital stays. I'd had my first blood transfusion. I'd never done that before I had oh, cancer. Okay. So, but overall, I will say overall and compared to, I know a lot of people, I feel like I tolerated chemotherapy quite well. Okay. So the, the precursor to before the, the couple things before the implosion, I already mentioned earlier, my birthday's in October. It is very, very special to me. And my husband that year didn't really do much to celebrate it. And I was very upset about that because I thought okay. this is the worst year of my life and I'm still here. Like we should, if ever a year to celebrate that I'm still alive, let's yes. celebrate. And it <laughs> yeah. didn't really work out that way. And I was angry and I was not nice to him. I own that. I was very, very mean for mm -hmm. a while. I was just so upset. Like, why? Like, why could you not pull it together? Especially because we had had conversations in the past year of this is important and I want you to take the lead. I felt like I had spelled it out. But yeah, so I was very upset and I was not nice. And fast forward pretty much about a month after my birthday, where things are still pretty icy between us. <laughs> and I went to bed. We were sleeping in different rooms, not because of not because I was mad, but because of my treatment and he snored like crazy and so he slept somewhere else to allow me better sleep so i give him credit for that that was him being a good human so we were asleep i was in one place he was in the other and it's maybe 11 30 at night and i get an odd message on facebook i get an odd post or comment on a post that thought okay that's weird that's weird and then i get a message on instagram that said your husband tried to cheat on you with me oh uh, oh uh, okay. okay. Yeah. And as it turns out, it was a conversation. There wasn't a physical activity, but there was a conversation and I was a mess. I was a disaster. I, I was just thinking, you did this, you did this while you did this while your wife was fighting cancer. Come on. Yeah, like you, it's never a good time to do it, but you did it then. And went back and forth and back and forth. And it was kind of at the end of the day, my decision, whether we we're going to stay together or not, which also seems unfair. It was kind of like, well, I want to be with you. But I mean, if you don't, it was kind of like, but that's okay. Uh, so I didn't feel like there was much fight. And yeah. I mean, so, men say men say stupid stuff at times. We do. It's true. <laughs> I, I won't argue with that. <laughs> so I just knew... There were a couple pieces to their conversation that were just too painful. And I just knew I he he made this choice that he knew would hurt me and he did it anyway. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking over and over again, thinking, I'm not friends with people who hurt hurt me on purpose. Yeah. I have I am very fortunate. I have an amazing friend network. I always say my friends are amazing and I really mean it. And they're kind and wonderful and loving and fierce and loyal and all these things. I'm thinking if that's the bar for my friends, why would I set a lower bar for my husband? Love that. And so he, he did not reach the bar. And so we decided, no, oh, really, I decided just, I said, uh, I just don't want to be married to you anymore. And he said, okay. Like that was it. Wow. <laughs> and I feel like, well, that just confirmed I was thinking because yeah, he, he was already mentally he was checked out. Yeah. He, was, he was done. And to think, because many times, and I remember telling a therapist this, and she was just shocked thinking, you usually expect, a, no, 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 what can I do? I'll do anything. And mm. what can I do? And it was just, okay. That was that. And at that time, I started going, I even upped, as if I wasn't going to five enough, then I really went to five more, because we were still living in the same house, because I couldn't afford the house by myself. So ugh, like living together, but having this roommate thing, oh, gross. Been, I don't recommend there. it. I've been there. <laughs> so I was going, he would go to bed and the, and I felt like he's here, he's sleeping. The kids, I have my kids halftime from a first marriage prior to him mm. and thought, well, the kids are here, they're safe. And so I would go to five and I would be crying, just tears streaming down my face, driving that five minutes when I'd get there, park the car wipe my face and say, you can't cry to drag show. <laughs> and then I'd go in. And so at this lowest, lowest time of my life, when I have very little hair, I, I love my hair. I, I'm, that's probably one of the hardest things in my treatment. All that's like, no, oh, I like my hair. I'm very vain and I'm willing to admit it. I don't care. Nothing wrong with it. I like having <laughs> hair. And so not having hair, 
knowing that my marriage is pretty much over, I'm in my 40s, I'm just not feeling particularly great. And then I walk into this space where it's, hey, fabulous. Oh, how are you? Oh, looking gorgeous. And just all this love constantly poured on me. I'm like, what, where, where else would I go? Why else wouldn't I go there four days a week if I wanted to? See, and I, I read the, the intro for your book where you had said that, you know, go, uh, the drag community changed your life or saved your life, something, something along life. those lines. And so mm-hmm. that, was, that was why I stopped you before we went into the marriage because I knew I wanted to get the rest of that journey. And now that right there just made that part so much more powerful, like, you know, getting, getting that full scope. You know, mm-hmm. so, all right. So you leaned into that community and then how did you pick up the pieces and move forward? Staying within that community. I mean, I really feel like they, you said changed, they did, they changed and saved my life. I mean, they, I think back to where I was years ago, just the lowest, you know, really probably the lowest place in my life ever. And they were just there for me. And then they're there for me. They're there for me. I feel like I'm more, I feel like I'm more who I should have always been, but I didn't feel like I permission me. So I can wear sparkles and glitter on a daily basis and own that and just be my wild, extroverted, loud self and just be loved for all of it. Instead of trying to feel like I needed to be a certain person, just be whoever I want to be and have them love me through it all. I love that. And in, in my teachable moments, I say that one a lot about about being being your, yourself. Like I mentioned earlier that, that I'm single now and it's you know, it's very easy to point to, you know, the wrongdoings or the, the shortcomings of the other person on as to, to why to why things didn't work out. So like after this last one a few years ago, I said, no, I said, let me just step back and let me just evaluate me. It's like, say, where am I going wrong in all of this? And it's because I'm, I I can't be me because same thing. Like I'm loud, I'm extroverted, I'm super competitive. Some people would say I got an ego, you know, I just say I'm very competitive. I'm very sure. Of, <laughs> I'm very sure of myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I find when I get in these, in these relationships, I have to not be me. And then over time you end up resenting the fact that you can't be, you, that you can't be yourself. Yeah. It's and like, you're resenting it's like, that person for that. Yes, like when I go to Disney, I want to put on bunny ears and I want to skip down Main Street USA, right? I'm in the happiest place on earth, damn it. I want to show it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Like that's just me. That's how I'm wired. Like I don't I don't want to do grown up stuff. (laughs) I was like sitting down, having some wine by candlelight for the people that love it. Go get it. I want a zip line. (laughs) I want a parasail, (laughs) you know, like I'm a I'm a thrill junkie. You know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's just, that's just who I am. Like I stated earlier about speaking on stages. Like I, I just love the limelight, <laughs> you know? So that's just, that's me. That's you. you. Know? That's mm-hmm. me, you know? And, and, I, and I really feel that's why a lot of relationships end up going south. Cause you know, when you first meet someone, you, you're getting their best, you know, you're mm-hmm. getting their best mm-hmm. and you're going out of your way to impress this person and to keep this person's attention. And then, then you get comfortable and then, then it all just stops. <laughs> so it's like now when I'm finding being single, it's like, no, I can I get to be me every day. <laughs> like, that. You know, it's like I don't have to, I don't have to hide. When I'm in the gym, I'm I'm the leader of the group. So it's like I, I can be me. And then I attract the people who need my type of energy. Yes. So, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in your moment as you're rebuilding yourself. You know, like, did did you find that moment where it's like, you know what, I can be me? Yeah, I don't even think it hit me until way after the fact. Because I was still, for so long, I was still just so sad. And I was sad for a long time. But it was like, I was sad, and then I got to be in the space where I was happy. And then I was still sad. And then just time, you know, that it's so cliche, but time heals wounds, you know. (laughs) But you do. Sometimes you just need time. And having more and more and more time, and then also all this love from this community, it's almost like I came out later and thinking, oh, I don't even know when when she was built, but here we are. 
Love it. All right. So I know we were going to try to end a couple minutes early. So let's talk about, about your book real quick and then we'll break it down. So the book exists for two reasons. One, because of the pandemic. Absolutely. Okay. I am, as you can probably just tell from this, this time together, I am a off the charts extrovert. So I'm highly extroverted <laughs> and at the time and still single and the pandemic happens and every other week I'm completely alone and it was terrible. It was so now that is the that was the worst time of my life was that very early pandemic where yes. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't go to five. I didn't have anybody. It was just the week I had the kids and then the other week, nobody. And I had started scribbling notes of the book back in maybe fall of 19. And it was that odd, stubborn streak of mine that thought, fine. I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. You know, it's like at that time, like you couldn't even go, you couldn't go to a coffee shop. You could, it was just inside my four walls of my place all of the time feeling drained. And so I thought, fine, I guess I'll just write my book. (laughs) And that's when I wrote the book. And the second reason is it's really a love letter to that community. Is it's, that's the gist of the entire book is I went through this really, really horrible time and you were there for me. And thank you. Love that. Love that. And that's on Amazon? It is. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the, the name again? It's From Queens to Queens, How the Madison Drag Community Saved My Life. Awesome. All right. So give us some final words. Well, first, thank you for having me again. My pleasure. And I don't know. I feel like final word, I'm supposed to say something wise and powerful and inspiring. So I'm <laughs> clinging to this. If you can find something in your life that brings you joy, as long as you're not hurting someone else, don't be a jerk. But if you can find, (laughs) caveat, don't be a jerk. If you can find something that brings you joy, hang on to it as tightly as you can. Love it. Yeah. I I usually say say that all the time. I tell people, like, do the things you love. Like, stop, stop doing the things you don't enjoy. Just stop it. Even if it hurts other people's feelings, just stop it. You know, like I'll, I'll end on mine. I um, <clears throat> I donated a kidney to my sister in 2011 and going through that process for the first time, I felt my mortality, you know, because because mm-hmm. I get it. People live with one kidney all the time, but it just popped into my brain. We got one heart. <laughs> you know, we got one spleen. We got one pancreas. Like there's a lot of things we have one of. We have two lungs, two ears, two nostrils, two eyes, two, two, two kidneys, you know? So it's like wherever we came from decided that we need two. So mm-hmm. it's like, I'm giving one away. So it's like kidney disease runs in my family. Like, what is this going to do to me? And like, that's just the, the first time I actually really questioned life, you know, life and the possibility of death. And in that moment, I was like, I'm not doing things I don't want to do anymore. Like, and I don't care. <laughs> you know, so like we had a, a family reunion. This was a few years ago, but I had a, now our family reunions usually on the third weekend in August, and so sorry, I know you got to go, and so my my parents had it moved, but I had already booked a big hike up in New Hampshire, and so I was like, I can't come Saturday, but I'll be there on Sunday, and I what you're not coming Saturday? I said, Listen, you can get mad all you want to. I will see you guys on Sunday, <laughs> you know, and it's now that I'm consistent with it, like no, no, nobody, nobody bothers me anymore. So I was like, Hey Rob, can you help? Nah, sorry. I can't make it. Okay. You know, just wanted, wanted to ask, you know, like you got to protect your own boundaries. So again, now I can do the things that I love and enjoy on my terms. You know, like yeah. it sounds, it sounds super selfish, but um, it's my life. <laughs> well, and and you could also say is it selfish because if you're living your life the way you really should be living it for yourself you're going to be better for everybody anyway exactly if you're exactly. living it for other people but dying on the inside mm-hmm. you're really not giving anybody your best yeah I, I did an entire ep- episode on that topic so <laughs> all right i know you gotta have a heart out so again thank you very much for joining thank you for sharing your story i know we dug a little deep there but that's what i do i'm here <laughs> <You know>? for it <laughs> thanks all again right. robert yeah i'm gonna reach out to you late later on today because i'm gonna come gonna connect you with some of my podcast friends i would love that all right have, all have right. a great day you too bye right. bye
All right. So that was Jamie sharing her story. Uh, if you're tuning in late, make sure you go back and watch the full thing. I got to have a heart out myself. So I will see you all tomorrow. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Next time, shut up.